It's good to see all who are here this morning. I'm here, I believe you're here, if I can start off right, I believe you're here because of a series of events that reflect your desire. You desire to be here this morning, and so probably last night before you went to sleep, you set your alarm clock. And then this morning when that alarm clock went off, you probably hit the snooze button And then, uh, you know, it continued on for a little while until finally you convinced yourself that you had something important to do this morning. And you got up and you got around, and by a series of events, you are here. Now, this morning, even though that was your desire to make it to services this morning and worship God in spirit and truth, now that you're here, you probably don't, uh, those memories in the past aren't really part of what you're thinking about. You're thinking about being here, this experience of the songs that we have sung this morning so beautifully. I want to tell the song leaders, you picked some very appropriate songs this morning. Last night, we talked about legacy and how that, that takes some forethought. We have to think about things before they happen to go in a certain direction. Well, this morning, you thought in a certain direction and you are here at this point. Well, we have a spiritual ambition as well and if we give it no thought we will never arrive at that place god tells us there's a reason behind behind all the things that we do and we have as our ambition whether at home or absent to be pleasing to him we're going to notice that this morning because all of what we're doing here isn't just an exercise in futility there's a day coming when the lord will come back again And right now, it's like early this morning, if you will, when the alarm went off, your mind was groggy, you didn't quite think of of everything that was going to happen or all of the things that were going to be here this morning, all the beautiful flowers, what color my suit is or tie or whatever, thing like that. But now the reality of it is here. You can see the people in front of you. You've heard the songs. You see what color tie I'm wearing. And it seems far more real now than it did this morning when your alarm went off. We're talking about the day of judgment in the future. And until we experience that, sometimes we're just groggy here. We we think, well, yeah, it's going to happen, but it doesn't really motivate us. It doesn't really move us like it should. Well, this morning we want to make it as real as possible. We want to talk about a fact of life. We want to talk about the realities of what we anticipate in the future. And if you will, please turn to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, where here the apostle, when writing to the church of Corinth, talked about how much of an impact the impending coming of Christ, he desired that coming, and what kind of impact it had on him in his life. Now, There's all kinds of responses to this anticipated event. To those who love his appearing, we anticipate it. We look forward to it with joy. And others look to it with fear and dread. And that often is a reflection of their own conscience before God. But I hope and pray with all of our, my heart this morning, that all of us here do look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. That we anticipate it that we with joy look forward to that day and we anticipate the saving and the, the, the blessings that God has prepared for those who love him and love his appearing. But notice what he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. His hope moved him to not lose heart. 
Notice what it says here, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. The word renewed means that energy, that revival, that vitality is continually being fed into us. But the outer man, he says, is perishing. But the inner man is being renewed. The inner man continues to receive vitality, energy, strength. Verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. Now, he doesn't say you don't see the things that God designed to be seen in this world. What he's talking about here, he says, we don't look at those things. In other words, those aren't the focus of our reward. We do not look at the things that are seen as all that God has prepared for us. How sad it is for those people who go around and knock on your door and they tell you time after time, wouldn't it be wonderful to live forever in a paradise state on earth? And they get us to try to focus on this earth as being our reward. Well, my friends, there's some immaturity in that. We might look at that and we say, yeah, I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I can't focus on that reward, but I know what it would be like to live here. And so we have this whole doctrine built around getting people to look at this world and wish it were better or wish it were wonderful. Well, God tells us, as we've talked about the other night in Colossians 3, if you then be risen up with Christ, seek things above, not the things of the earth. Now, that's an important passage because he tells us not to look at this world for our reward. Yes, it would be wonderful to think that everything would be happy and pleasant and no wars and no sickness and all that stuff. My friends, that would be wonderful. But that is not what God has prepared for us. He says, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. Verse 18, read it again. For the things which are seen are temporal. Now, that word temporal is where we get our word temporary. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. That is not temporary. My friends, everything you see around you is temporary. Everything. Everything. Think about that for a moment. If the world is allowed to continue another hundred years, this building may or may not be here. But I'll guarantee you it's not going to be as in as good a shape then as it is today because it's temporal. The roof may have leaks. The speakers may be blown. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know 100 years from now, all of us are going to be different. All of us are going to be different. Some of us may still be alive, but all of us are going to be different. And so he says, do not look for God's reward for a righteous life in this world. Things which are seen are temporal. We do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen, the things that are eternal. And now, unfortunate chapter break. He continues idea into the next chapter. Please look on to the next chapter. Chapter 5, verse 1. Notice what he says. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made, with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, I'm going to tell you, and I've preached this lesson before on the nature of Hades and the nature of, of man, and that's not my topic this morning, but I do want to explain this passage as we go on. 
He's talking here about the body, and we're going to prove that in just a moment. But he's not, he's not uh, explaining death, but he's going to take it into account and tell us this is the realities of death. He's just not, he's not going to, like I said, he's not going to explain it, but he's going to tell us what to anticipate, what to look forward to. He says, we have an earthly town, tent which in our house, and when it's torn down, we have a building from God. Torn down, that's a synonym, if you will, for the fact that our bodies are wearing out and we're going to die. But he says, it's similar, our bodies are kind of similar to a house, in that people live in a house. Now, people aren't the house, but people live in a house. You are not your body, but you live in your body. Your spirit is in your body. You are body, soul, and spirit, the Bible tells us. There's, th- there's two passages that teach that, but like I said, that's not my topic this morning, but if you want to look in Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 12 and, and also um, many other passages that talk about body, soul, and spirit, we are, God wants us to be preserved complete until the coming of the Lord, but here's what we are. Whenever there's three parts of us, if you will, there's our body, and within here, there's our soul and, and, and our spirit. We might call this the life force. And we're going to call this the eternal personality or, or identity. And then we have our body over here. Now, you are made up of three parts. Animals only have two of these. <clears throat> and plants. Uh, you know, it, I don't care if you talk to your plants. The point is, is a plant has basically two things to it. It has pneuma, it has life force or breath, and it has its external body. And if it, you can tell when it's alive and when it's dead. And you can tell when an animal is alive and when it's dead. But you and I have three parts. We have our life force, our animating force, sometimes called soul and sometimes called spirit. But more, more than that, we have something that is made in the image of God. And the Bible says in John 4, verse 23 and 24, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So there's that part of us that is eternal identity that's going to last past the grave. And that is why the comparison is made to a person living in a house. A person is not a house. A person lives in a house. You live in your body. And he says, when the body is torn down, does the spirit cease to exist? No. Let's read on. Notice he explains this very beautifully in this passage. Verse 2, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. In this house, right here, we groan. I wasn't at your house this morning, but I'm pretty sure that when you woke up this morning, some of you groaned about being in this house. In this house we groan. That's what he's saying. Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. I want my spirit to have a new kind of body. A body in which I won't groan in the morning. A body that doesn't feel fatigue. A body that doesn't need sleep and rest. Notice. Notice verse 3. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Oh, he, he, he goes to another metaphor. And the second metaphor for our life here in this world is clothing. Now, first of all, he uses the word house. And then he uses a clothing metaphor. He said, it's like clothes you put on. You are not your clothes. Whenever you lay your jacket on the bed, somebody doesn't come in and address you as a personality. Hi, Fred, or, or hi, Donna, or whatever it is on the bed. 
No, we know that that's Donna's coat or Fred's coat. You see, we've identified that as clothing they put on. And the same thing is true with our bodies. Our bodies are not who we are. Our bodies is something our spirit dwells in or puts on, if you will. Notice, notice he goes on. Will not be found next. Verse 4. For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan, being found, um, being burdened. But we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that which is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That is the parallel for death. He says, here is, the, here is what death is like. Death is like taking off some clothing and anticipating a clothing given to us from God. It's like having a house, but that house is going to be torn down, but we anticipate a dwelling from God. That's what it's like. Notice what he goes on to say. Verse 5, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of courage, and knowing that while we're at home in the body, I told you we were going to prove that he was talking about the body here. He says, Knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Absent from the body. You know, whenever we put this body aside in death and we anticipate the resurrection, that's what we're looking forward to. We anticipate that day. We're not suicidal people. We're not people that have a death wish. We're just realistic people that realize that which is seen as temporal. That which is seen as temporal. Our bodies age. Our, in our bodies we groan. We long to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven where we won't anticipate that kind of flack and that kind of heartache and tiredness and fatigue and tears and even grieving before. You know, this week our brother has expressed, our, our brother who died all through his life, he expressed his hope in a resurrection so much so that his family expresses that hope along to, to everyone else. Whenever we, whenever we went to his funeral, whenever we anticipated that, we didn't grieve as those who have no hope. We knew that he looked forward. We knew that this was a temporary dwelling place, that one day we will see him again in a new and different kind of body. And we realized that what happened to him is the way of all men. It's the way of all of us. My friends, I'm not here trying to be morbid this morning. I'm just trying to get us not to be in denial. There's so many people who are in denial about the fact of death, as if hundreds and thousands of previous generations, if you will, of people in previous generations have not died. How long have we been around? We know recorded history is over six or seven thousand years, but we know that there aren't any six or seven thousand year old people. We know that. What's the oldest people that you know? Maybe a hundred? I know Janie Chapman, she's about, I think she's 102 or 3, goes to the church at Cottage Grove. You know, but maybe that's the longest. We know the earth's been around. We know that the entire surface of the planet is not populated with people that God created way back then. Death is a fact of life. We've got to deal with it. And sometimes we like to live in denial. Well, I, I, don't do that. Don't do that. God says that because of this, this isn't something we have to anticipate with fear. 
The Bible says, don't fear him which can destroy the body. Don't fear him which can destroy the body. Rather, fear him which can destroy both soul and body in, in that second death. My friends, if we make reconciliation with our creator, then we don't have to grieve as those who have no hope whenever the day comes that our house falls down and our clothing needs to be changed for our spirit. The outer man is decaying, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. Let's look at what he says here on in this passage. Now, verse 5. Now, uh, verse 5. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, always being of good courage and knowing that while we're in home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 8. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, in this eternal place called Hades, Luke the 16th chapter, we anticipate the presence of the Lord. Even though Hades is a temporary dwelling place that Revelation 20th chapter will tell us will be emptied at the resurrection, John 5, we're going to look at that in a moment, and then will be thrown into the lake of fire, it it will be destroyed. Hades is a temporary place anticipating the resurrection. He says the presence of the Lord will be there. The presence of the Lord is there. Isn't that wonderful? It's not heaven, but the presence of the Lord is there. Isn't that great? And then he says, therefore we have, verse 9, as our ambition. And that's the way the New American Standard translates it. He says, we have as our ambition, right there, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Whether alive or dead, to be pleasing to him. That's the point. At home or absent. I think that's a wonderful word that reflects the nature of what happens to us and our personality, our identity at death. It's not extinction. It's absence. You know, if I didn't show up for class and the teacher took role and I was absent, did that mean I've ceased to exist? No. It just means I wasn't there. I'm sorry, we're going to have to call Glenn absent, not non-existent. We're just going to have to mark him absent because he's not here this morning. And one day, whenever we die, it's not that we've ceased to exist. It's just that we're absent from the body. We take role and nobody's there. We can't go, yo, I'm here. You can't do that. I'm absent. But just because somebody leaves a house, listen very carefully. Just because somebody leaves a house or takes off a piece of clothing does not mean that they've ceased to exist. I want us to get that. If I go ring somebody's door and they're not home, I don't grab my head and go, oh my, I wish there's so many things I wish I could have said. There's so many things, you know, I am so just so, I, it's, I wish I could see them one more time to give them a hug. What if they walked up behind me and said, What is your problem? I just went to the store for some milk. Just because I wasn't home doesn't mean I didn't exist anymore. I just wasn't home. Well, my friends, that's it. That's the way it is. Whenever we leave this earthly body, we do not cease to exist. But we wait in a place unclothed, desiring to be clothed with a body that God has prepared for us, in the resurrection. And that body is wonderful 
Oh, my. Notice, he says there, longing to be clothed with our... Notice, uh, verse 4. Indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that the mortal may be swallowed up by life. Yes, that's, my friend, the day when the mortal is going to be swallowed up by life, when the power of sin and death is going to be destroyed, is in that coming wonderful day of our Lord. There are... Uh, many, many passages we could go to to this, but I want to read verse 10 before we finish this passage. Listen to verse 10 again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now he said this, we're going to be given account we're going to give an account to God for our deeds done in the body. In the body. Let's make some rational conclusions from this statement. Number one, you can't obey God after you die. Because that's not what you're going to give an account for. You can't accept your baptism that some relative did on your behalf after you died. Because that doesn't come into judgment. That does not come into judgment. You and I are going to have to give an account for the deeds that we've done while in the body. And I'm so glad God limited that. I'm so glad that God limited that. He said, here's the amount of time you're responsible for. The deeds you do while you're in the body. And that is what will be brought into judgment. That's all we have to give an account for, is the deeds done in the body. After I get to heaven, I don't have to worry about another judgment sometime on later down the line. All I have to do is be concerned about obeying God in the body while in this world. Now, I will be praising God there, and I won't have to worry about temptation and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And I'm so, wonder, I'm so looking forward to that day. But my friends, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him now while we're in the body. And after you die, you cannot change your eternal destiny. So it's so important that we do not live in denial about this coming day, the judgment day of Christ, where we're going to give an account for these deeds. We need to be realistic and realize Death is a fact of life, and judgment is sure. And because of this, the Bible says there are certain things that happen in our life. Notice verse 11. Let's just continue right on reading. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God and hope that we are made manifest also to your conscience. Notice he said, therefore, knowing this fact, knowing the fact that we're all going to face God, we persuade men. We persuade him. It persuades us to tell people about the fact of this life. Now, my friend, why am I so confident that there's a resurrection of the dead? Oh, isn't that wonderful that Peter tells us why we're so confident about this? The Bible tells us in Peter, notice in verse chapter 1 and verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. How? Why? Why is this living hope alive and vibrant? 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Here's why our hope is alive. It's because of the fact that God proved to us that he can do what he said he could do through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ did something as a man that none of us can do with confidence. We might do it, but we can't do it with confidence. In other words, let's walk up to somebody and say, you tear down this body and I'll build it again in three days. We can't do that. You can't do that. There's all then a lot of people with even self-deception who said they were going to come forth from the grave. I can tell you about Amy McPherson who died and where her body was laid in Forest Lawn and her followers stayed around for days, days and days because she said before she died, you take away my body, I'll come back from the grave. She didn't. She's still there to this day. Still there. But Jesus' tomb is empty, folks. Jesus' tomb is empty. He came forth from the grave. He turned the world upside down because there were five, over 500 brethren that knew about his resurrection that were still alive at the time Corinthians was being written. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and starting reading verse 1, the Apostle Paul makes a point of telling these Corinthian brethren, your hope doesn't rest on some delusion. Your hope doesn't rest... These guys are committed to honesty. They believe lying is a sin. They believe that, as Revelation says, every liar will have his part in the lake of fire. Yet they testify to a risen Lord. Notice what he says there in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand. In other words, here's the foundation. Here's the rock upon which everything else stands securely. And by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in the rain. Verse 3, For I delivered you of first importance, that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised the third day, according to the Scriptures. And then he begins to list witnesses. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, he's saying, most of these guys are still alive right now. If you want to check what I'm saying, check with them. They're still around. Over 500 of them saw the risen Lord. But some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now notice verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? He's challenging these people. He's saying, this is what you stand on. How can you deny it? He goes on throughout the whole thing to talk about death, and, and uh, we just don't have time to go on, on into this. Mm. But notice verse 35. Go to verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be. I am so glad that whenever I get to heaven, I'm going to have a skinny body. The body I get in the resurrection is not the same one that goes in the ground. I am so thankful for that. Notice. 
but bear grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same. He's reasoning with these people. He said, you got a question about this. I want to ask you, is everything going to the ground come up the same thing as it went in the ground? He said, no. He said, look, what you put in the ground is a seed. When you plant corn, you plant a yellow kernel. Up comes a green stalk. They don't look anything like, the, like each other. Notice, notice all flesh is not the same kind of flesh, verse 39, but there's one flesh of men, another of beasts, another of fish, another uh, uh, birds, and another of fish. There's also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly is another. In other words, the virtues of this body are not the virtues of that body. Verse 41, there's a glory of the sun, the glory of the moon, and another glory of stars, and stars differ from star and glory. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. In other words, he's saying that makes sense, Now I'm going to compare it to what we anticipate. The resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, verse 42. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. And and there is also a spiritual body. There is also a spiritual body. In other words, that which goes into the ground is not what comes out. Verse 47, the first man is from the earth earthly, the second man is from heaven. Now, uh, he just goes, verse 50, let's go to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. What, I don't know how people can be deceived after reading this passage into thinking that this world is what they get as a reward of God. That only 144,000 in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, are the only ones that get to go to heaven, 12,000 out of each tribes of Israel. 12,000 males, if we're going to start taking it literally. Now, some people think that's great. In heaven, there'll be no women. But that's not what the Bible's teaching, and that is an evidence of that wrong conclusion. There's not only 144,000 Jewish male virgins that are going to heaven. That should tell you that those people interpret that literally are making a mistake in, Matthew, in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. And they say that they're really, mankind really has two hopes. Only 144,000 get to go to heaven, and the rest of us get the earth as our reward. The Bible does not say that. The Bible does not say that. That is a symbolic number in the book of Revelation. And by the way, Ted Klein points out in his book, that that number, 144,000, is a symbolic number which represents the great crowd. It's interesting if you really look at it. I heard the number of those who were sealed, and I turned and saw the great crowd. He said they're the same thing, that the number is merely representative of the great crowd. So those of you who are studying with these people that knock on your door whose initials are Jehovah's Witnesses, the Bible says, the Bible is talking about us having one hope, Ephesians 4. One hope. One Lord, one hope. We all have a right not to expect this earth as our inheritance. We ha- this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So don't get deceived into thinking that we just get this world back restored. That's not it. Notice verse 51 but I told you, tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We're all going to be changed in a moment, in an indivisible moment of time. In a twinkling of an eye, 
At the last trump, the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable shall put on the imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, listen to his conclusion. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You know, whatever I ask myself about what sermons I should give, that last verse just nailed it for me. He says, basically, Glenn, remind people that there's going to come a day in which we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Number two, we're going to give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. And because of all this, therefore, encourage the brethren to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain you want meaning in your life you want purpose you want ambition i want you to know something there is all kinds of people clamoring for your energy and for your life invested in this look at the rewards that you'll get invested in that look at what's coming to you but my friends there is nothing that compares to no laboring for the lord because the bible says whenever we do that we have an eternal reward reserved in heaven that no moth or rust can corrupt and thieves cannot break into a steel. Therefore, lay up treasure in heaven. Lay up treasure in heaven. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Your labor is not in vain. When my life is all said and done and your life is all said and done, will they say you live in vain? Will they say there is no purpose? Last night we talked about our legacy. And tonight, th this morning, I just want to finish up that thought. The Bible gives us a positive legacy to have. And that is a life lived for something that outlasts it. A life lived that is not in vain in the Lord. We are going to meet the Lord one day. And it may be sooner than many of us think. Many, sooner than many of us think. I was talking to the young people at Norman, Oklahoma, not that long ago. We, had a, we got together with the young people. And I was talking with Dougie and Debbie Edwards' boys, and they recounted an incident of a young lady who was 17 years old who was visiting the dorms in Texas Tech University. She was visiting the dorms. She visited, she, had a, uh, they, uh, she got to know about what the school a little bit, got the layout of it because she was going to come the next year to school. And the next morning, they went in to her dorm room. It was locked. Everything was fine. And she was dead in the floor. She was dead. They did an autopsy. They did toxicology reports. They did every CSI thing that you've ever seen on television on this young lady. Trying to figure out what in the world happened. There was no trauma to the body. There was no trauma to the brain. There was no reason why this girl of 17-year-old should have been without her spirit. But she was. She was. And yet other people get harmed in, in 
in car wrecks and they get hurt and they have great disasters and in war, great things happen and trauma to the body and they live. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense to us. It just doesn't make sense. Why does this person die and that person live? Don't know. But here's one thing I know. We are all a breath away from eternity. A breath. That's all. And do we want our life to have meaning and ambition? He says, remind people of these things. Remind them to be aware that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's going to be a judgment day, folks. And we're not playing church here this morning. This isn't a feel-good, pat us on the back, make sure we all just go away here lightheaded. We're talking about something that is sober. And whenever we come to the death of Christ, we're talking about things that are sober this morning. And we're not playing around. The fact of the matter is you're alive here today. Most of you are alive here today. I think all of us are. But I don't know if you'll ever get to attend another worship service to the Lord or not. I know one by one we will pass. I have a finite amount of times I'm going to go to the assembly of the church. The Lord tells us to do this till he comes back. This is going to be observed not forever. There is a finite number of times that this will be observed on the earth. He says, do this till I come. Till I come. He's coming back. We are one time less. One time less. And I don't know how many times that is. It may be a thousand. It may be ten. This may be the very last time we observe the communion. But the fact of the matter is, is all of us here, whether we're alive or dead, we have an ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. I hope that's at your ambition. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Please turn, let's look at one last verse and we'll bring our lesson to a close this morning. Because we don't have to look at every verse in the Bible that talks about this to get the point. We really don't. But notice how clear this is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there verse 10 again. I just want to read the verse just clearly again. Let's just read it for all it's worth. For we must all... All appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not talking about somebody else this morning. I'm talking about you. Are you prepared to meet the Lord? Have you just had a part-time relationship with the Lord? Maybe you're trying to have... I don't know, you just want the Lord to stay in His room? You just want the Lord to stay in part of your life? You just don't, you don't really realize that someday you're going to give an account for every day that you've lived and all the things that, that we've chosen to do in this life. But we will. This life is very short. Oh, it goes so fast. It does. It goes so quickly. There are many dreams that as you reach middle age, you have to ask yourself, 
Is this realistic? Many times when people come to that point, they have what's called a midlife crisis. You ask yourself, have I accomplished my dreams and, and everything? You know, I've had a dream ever since I was a kid. I want to preach halftime at the Super Bowl. I just do. But it costs too much money to realize that dream. Unless I hit an oil well, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> but I just want to reach people. But I don't know what it is. Sometimes you might want to be in a great work or do some great thing. You know, I don't know what I'll get to do. All I try to do is do what I can every day. And I don't know what you're trying to do. Maybe your dreams have been dashed. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you've even lost heart. But the Bible says here, no, regardless of what your age, listen, young people, old people alike, though the outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. Because every moment you have is a breath. You know you've got more deeds to do for God's glory. And that is our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And my friends, it was pleasing that you were here this morning to worship him in spirit and truth. It's pleasing to him whenever you treat your wife right at home. It's when you treat your husband right at home. Whenever you raise your kids in the knowledge and instruction of the Lord. It is pleasing to him whenever you confess his name at school. When you confess his name at work. Whenever you talk to your neighbor about the Lord. It is pleasing to him whenever you lay down at night. Because that's God's design. And when you rise up in the morning. And whenever you seek to please him every moment of your life. That's the kind of life that God is pleased with. And knowing that God's going to bring every work into judgment, it makes sure that we all number our days as David requested of God. Lord, teach me to number my days. Teach me. Teach me that I haven't got all the time in the world to serve God. The time past is sufficient for you to carry out the desire of the Gentiles. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you've not been living for him, then why don't you know that you are going to give an account for the deeds done in the body? And if you haven't been living right, you need to be concerned about that day. But if you're living a life that is designed and committed and ambitious, that Greek word there means to have as an ambition to be pleasing to him, then you will read your Bible. Then you will treat your wife right. Then you will have your priorities right. The reason why we're unsuccessful Christians sometimes is that we don't have that as our ambition. So, this morning, let's get it. Let's get it and know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you will obey the Lord this morning in your faith, repent of your sins, confess his name before men, Matthew 10, 32, and be baptized for remission of sins, you will never regret that. Most Christians do not regret their life of serving the Lord. I know a lot of sinners that have regretted, have regretted that. This last week, before I came here, I was talking to a man. I'll tell you, tell you his first name. His name is Rod. He has led a wicked life. He can't hardly even speak a sentence without cussing. And yet, the, the finality of his life, he's in the hospital, veterans hospital there in Oklahoma City. And I've talked to him about the Lord. He said, Glenn, the, the Lord doesn't care about me. He said, I've never cared about the Lord. Why would he care about me? I said, why am I here? I said, I am here to tell you about the Lord that he wants, he desires all men to be saved. 1 Timothy 2.12. And he desires you to be saved. He desires you to be saved. And that's amazing to him. He, for the first time in his life, finally started reading his Bible. Finally started reading his Bible. And he told me last week, just before I come, that he is, he's wanting to know the Lord. He's wanting to be baptized for remission of sins. He physically even couldn't at that time. 
And I'm hoping whenever we get home, I hope the Lord gives him time to obey the gospel. Him and his father. His father wants to obey the gospel too. And I've been praying about that, and, I've been, and I want you to pray for it too. But did you know there are other souls out in this world, out in this very town, that have no purpose, they have no ambition, they don't know the Lord, they don't know there's a day of judgment, and they don't know that God has made provision for them to be saved. They don't know that. Can you imagine trying to live without the knowledge that you have of God and God's purpose for your life? Can you imagine trying to live that aimlessly, that purposelessly, without any ambition, not knowing why you exist? How empty. There are a lot of empty people in our area, in this area. And they want to know what you know. Don't just get deceived into thinking nobody else wants to know what you know. I know there are people in Bakersfield, California that want to know what you know. But you've got to find them. And you've got to tell them that God has hope for those that transcends this death. That transcends this death. Why don't you demonstrate that you're willing to make pleasing God your ambition this morning? by starting to obey him and do what you know you ought to do and obey the gospel. If you never have, now's the time, now's the opportunity to start on that life. I don't care what you were living like before. You don't have to be the same kind of people you were that came in here a minute ago. You can leave here with a different ambition if you choose to take up the cross of Christ and follow him. Won't you do that this morning? Please consider that. If your life is aimless, if your life has no purpose, why don't you come and take up his cross while we stand and sing? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.